Well, that was pretty good, huh? How about we give those kids a round of applause? And uh, not just so much the kids, but uh, for everyone here who works with our kids and our students, we want to tell you guys thankful also because we know we know that the kids didn't just show up and look that cute. And so for everyone else involved, uh, we want to thank you all also. Uh, if you're here and you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you uh, to open it up. And we're going to start in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, but before I jump into the message for today, uh, I just want to uh, to stir you up by way of remembrance. As you're spending time in the scriptures and you're reading, uh, when it comes to mothers uh, and thinking about the importance of moms and things like that, I'm going to continue today uh, with the, the series that I've, I've been on. Uh, but I want to just take a second and tell you that when you jump into 2 Timothy, uh, over and over and over again, uh, you find in Paul's letters to Timothy that Timothy's grandmother is the one who is responsible for him being such a great uh, young man in the faith. And so this is this is not the message for this morning, but this is just encouragement for you mothers and grandmothers. Uh, just to remind you that as a mother and a grandmother, the greatest accomplishment, I don't care what the world tells you or what anybody else tells you, your children being godly is the greatest accomplishment that you could ever have as a mother or a grandmother, and for that matter, a father or a grandfather as well. Uh, we cannot ever minimize the importance of parents raising godly children. And so Paul's in the middle of talking to Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch. And he lists all of these times where persecutions happened to him. And then he says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he says to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become and become convinced of knowing from whom you learned them. He learned a lot of these things from Paul and listen to what else he says. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so, moms, you training your children in godliness at a young age is the most important thing that you can do for a child. The proverb that we read when Heidi's child was being dedicated is that train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. They've got to have the training early on. And brothers and sisters, the world has our kids. And we need godly mothers to raise up and godly grandmothers to raise up and invest in our children so that we don't lose them. And moms, I want to say to most of you, and I'm saying most of you because I don't know all of you, it looks like many of you are doing a fantastic job. And I want to commend you this morning for the job that you're doing. And so let me open us in prayer. And we'll jump into the uh, message I have prepared for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that there's life in him. And Lord, I pray that we would all uh, grow in godliness. And Lord, I pray that we would naturally pass that godliness down to the next generation. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us into what you would have us to be. And Father, I pray that as a result of the gospel, that you would transform our lives. And I pray that it would uh, seep into every aspect of our life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, this morning, uh, like I say, if you'll take your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be uh, in chapter 8 and chapter 9 to begin with. Uh, one of the things I put out, we send out a church email once a week and we have a brief devotion at the beginning of it. It kind of sent out a teaser to you that uh, was about what the message was going to be about this morning. And it was in light of the gospel. So in light of everything that Christ has done for us, how should we? And then there was three blanks. And the three blanks, if you tried to guess, are in light of the gospel and in light of everything that Christ has done for us, how should we spend our money? And you go, hey, come on, you can't talk about money on Mother's Day. That's messed up. Uh, but that's where we are in the sermon series. And so we're going to leave it up to the providence of God that you're here at this hour. But want to preface the sermon by one thing. This is not going to be like normal sermons you've heard on Monday. I think you're going to leave here more encouraged than ever. And just so you know, before we go into this sermon about how we should spend our money in light of the gospel, Jesus had more to say about money than just about anything else that he talked about. And also take comfort in knowing that the plate's already been by and we're not going to send it around for another seven days. Amen? All right, good. Some of you are alive and well. And so you're in the book of 2 Corinthians. uh, And I want to just jump in uh, by telling you uh, that the sermon series that we've gone through has been all about the gospel. We've walked through what we've called the gospel prayer. And the gospel prayer we used four different weeks to point us back to the gospel and to how we should live our lives in light of it. And the gospel says this, that Jesus Christ became a man and he lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we deserved because we didn't live the life we should have lived. And through faith in Christ, he exchanged his perfect life for our wretched life. And so Jesus Christ became sin so that we could inherit his righteousness. So we deserve all of these rotten things. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve eternal condemnation. But Christ took all of that from us and he gave us his righteousness instead. And so what we've been talking about is how does that change our lives because if somebody made a trade with you that drastic it would impact every single decision that you made in the rest of your life and most of our decisions as we continue through this series have to do in some way shape or form with money and so there's an there's a second week of the gospel prayer the gospel prayer read like this as you have been to me so i will be to others and so hopefully you're in the book of second corinthians chapter eight this is verse nine It reads like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, through his poverty, you might become rich. And so you have here that Jesus Christ comes into the world. He steps out of the throne room of God. He enters into our world. And he enters the world as a carpenter's son, as a poor individual. And so though he was rich, he became poor. And why did he do all of that? Did he do that for his benefit? The answer is no, he did it for your benefit and for my benefit. And so I want to walk through what this looks like in real life. Because the gospel prayer reads, so you have been to me, I'll be to others. And it's impossible for you or I on the salaries that we make to repay Jesus for everything that he gave for us, right? He gave you his life. And he took from you eternal condemnation so that you could be forgiven of your sin and live forever ever with God in heaven. So how much of your salary do you have to give in order to buy that or to earn that? And the answer is you can't. 
It's, it's absolutely impossible. And so we start this off by realizing that it's impossible for us to ever repay God. But we want to look at some principles. And there's two primary errors that I think people run into when they start talking about money. Now, make sure you listen to both of them all the way. The first primary error that I think people run into is that God expects 10% from me and everything else I can spend however I want. Oftentimes, you see people use scriptures, they'll go to the book of Malachi, and they'll say, the Lord says, bring the tithe into the storehouse, and then I'll bless you immensely. And so some people view tithing as, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give God 10%, and then He's going to give me all sorts of stuff, and I can spend it however I want. And the reality is, is that if, if Christ has traded His righteousness for our wretchedness, then we owe Him way more than 10%, and everything we have is his to begin with. And so the idea of thinking we give him a portion of it and we do with what we do whatever we want with with the rest is is an error I believe. And then there's another error, so that's one side of the spectrum. Another side of the spectrum says that and I'm going to read it so I make sure I get it right. It says that the only thing you should do with your money is give it away to the poor. After all, there's always more people and more lost people. Thus, if there's something you have that you could give away and still survive, you should give it away. And so you've got one aspect that says give away 10%, you get the rest. There's another, there's another misconception about tithing that says, listen, if you have an excess at all, you should liquidate it and you should give it away to the poor. And I think that's a mistake as well. Now, I think there's probably more of us that lean towards this one than lean towards this one. But I want you to see some of the fallacies with with uh, trying to liquidate everything you have and get rid of it. One is that there's no end to this sort of thinking. There's always something that you could do without. If you got rid of everything, everything, and you were only going to eat beans and rice the rest of your life with a spoon, you could look at your life and go, do I really need this spoon? And so what I want you to see is that to, to liquidate everything and to give every single thing away to the poor, there's no end to that. And what that does is that actually brings about more guilt than anything else. And so you feel guilty maybe about what you have, so you give it away to get out of feeling guilty. And this is not the gospel at all. If you remember, the things we've been talking about, the gospel is that Christ did everything he did to free you from guilt and shame so that you don't have to feel that way. You hear me? That I don't want you to think that giving is compulsory and that you have to give every single thing. You with me? You guys are really nervous when I'm talking about this one. Like, I want to, I want to let your, let your guard down for a minute and know that I'm, I'm good at a bait and switch, but this is not going to be one of them. Like, I'm not setting you up for an aha moment. I really want to free you up to feel good about things. And so, also, the idea of giving away every single thing that you have, uh, it's really contradictory towards a lot of other scriptures that talk about saving and investing and preparing for the future. And so just know that going into it. And so uh, so let's go ahead and jump in now to, okay, then tell us what we're supposed to do. Because that's what, at this point, you're like, okay, cut through all the chit-chat and just tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? Give it to me. That's what most of you are thinking. Maybe. Now, before I do that, I want you to know that if you're here and you're a type A personality, this is going to drive you absolutely bonkers because the scriptures don't tell you exactly what to do. What the scriptures do is they give you six principles, I think, and each of these principles are in kind of a tug of, a tug of war. And if you take any one of these principles 
at the expense of the other, you're going to be in real bad shape. And so what you need to do is you need to take these six principles and you need to let them play themselves out in real life and hold them all together instead of just holding to one hard and fast rule. And so let me tell you what Jesus commended, first of all, before I give you six principles. And this will kind of show you where the, the problem is. So Jesus is, uh, he's going about his life, and most of these come from the book of John. And there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he, he, he rattles off a few things and the rich young ruler says, yeah, I've done all of those things, which you and I know he hasn't. And so then Jesus says, give, oh, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then you'll inherit eternal life. And so Jesus off the bat to a rich young ruler says, if you don't give it all, it's unacceptable. Then another person comes up. Then there's a widow, right? And the widow drops two widow's mites into the box. And the disciples are like, ah, look what she's doing. She might as well not even have walked by. And Jesus says, hold up, gang. That woman gave more than anyone else did. And you're like, whoa. You told one guy give it all. She drops two cents in the plate. And she gets more credit than he gets? Come on. Like, this is, this is not good. Then you have a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He... Uh, uh, entertains Jesus in his home. Zacchaeus gets saved. And Zacchaeus says, all right, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give 50% of all of my wealth to the poor. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And so you got one guy who's got to give it all. you got one lady who gives two cents. One guy gives 50%. And all of these people, if they do it, Jesus says, good job. And then the last one that I can think of off the top of my head is that there's a group of Pharisees standing around. And Jesus looks around and goes, yeah, you tithe tithe being 10%, he says, you do good. He goes to condemn them for a bunch of other things, but when it comes to the tithing of finances and things, he says, good job. And so you've got, somebody's got to give it all. Somebody's got to give two cents. Somebody's got to give 50%. And then somebody is good for giving 10%. And so if you're type A, you're like, yeah, that is not good. This is, how do I put that on a spreadsheet and make that fit everybody's life? Right? And the reality is, is that you don't. There's six principles we're going to walk through, and uh, we're going to walk through them somewhat, uh, somewhat quickly. But what I want you to see in these six principles, the first one is this. God gives excess to some so that they can share it with those who have less. If this is mandatory, if this is crammed down your throat, we call this socialism. We call this communism. But when you're blessed with something good and you freely give it to someone else, that's a godly thing to do. If you're forced to do that, we don't believe that it has any merit whatsoever. Because if you have to do it, you don't get any credit for doing it. But when you do it willingly, you're blessed by God for doing it. And so hopefully you're still in 2 Corinthians. And I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 8, 14 says this. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Now get this. None of this is compulsory and none of this is dictated and crammed down anybody's throat. The principle from Paul here is that, listen, Corinthian church, right now you have an excess of supplies so that you can give to this group of people who don't have it. Now, I'm going to put this in its context just so that it makes more sense. We live in a place where people get all sorts of benefits and oftentimes people in the area in which we live squander those benefits and want money from us so that they can squander those things too. 
That wasn't real popular what I said, but that's how things are. You know it and I know it. What's going on here is that there's a church across the way. There's a church in another town, another city, and there's a famine going on. They're suffering persecution and they don't have anything. And so Paul goes to a group of people who do have something and he says, listen, your excess is given to you by God. It's time to ante up and share it so that you can support your brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering persecution so that they can get by and feed their families. You with me? And so when you look at your budget, you don't have to allocate all of your dollars. It's okay to meet your needs, and then it's okay to view some of that extra money, extra money, as this is the money that God has given me to be generous to other people, to help other people who may not have. It's a principle. Now, don't take any one of these principles without listening to all of them. So now we go to... Uh, let me just jump in and read this one too. This is a principle that we teach our kids, right? Hopefully you teach it to your kids. Sometimes I'll give my kids candy in their lunchbox and I'll give them extra candy and I'll make sure that my kids know that that extra candy is not for them. Like normally they get a piece of candy in their lunchbox. If there's more than a piece of candy in your lunchbox, we gave that to you so that you could share it with your friends, right? It's a really good principle that all of us could afford to learn also. Sometimes our extra isn't for us, it's for other people. And the book of James says that if we don't do this sort of thing, if we don't share with those who don't have, then we're not really people of the faith anyways. That's James chapter 5 if you're interested. Second principle is that Jesus' radical generosity toward us serves as a model and motivation for our radical generosity. And now go to 2 Corinthians still, chapter 9, verse 10. And get this biblical principle, and I hope you get it really well. It says, verse chapter 9, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your, listen to this, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Get that? You see what's going on there? Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food, will supply and multiply what? Your bank account? No. He'll multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so sometimes when we get raises, sometimes when we come into more money as a blessing, that is money that God is giving us so that we can be generous and share it with others. Because he says, the, the person who, or excuse me, God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And so he'll multiply your account for doing good things. You with me? That's why the Proverbs are going to say things like, he who sows generously reaps generously so that he can then continue to do more. And so these are, these are all principles. And then um, let's go on to the next one. Kind of going through these a little bit faster because I know a lot of you have got lunch plans and it's Mother's Day, okay? And so I'm going to make sure you get all six principles, but I'm going to just give you the nuts and bolts of what I've got for you this morning. Cannot believe with this crowd that didn't get an amen. Can't believe it. Third principle. That's my man right there. Always love when you visit. Third principle. The Holy Spirit must guide us as to which sacrifices we personally are to make. And so all of this is how we should then spend our money as a result of the gospel. So God has done all of this for us. 
how do we then live it out with all the decisions of our, of our life? And one of the, the guiding principles, the main principles you're going to have to live by is you're going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit in your life to direct you as to how you should be spending your resources. What this doesn't mean, the grave danger here is that you might go through life and go, you know what? God never told me to come off a dime, so I'm good. Hopefully you're realizing that all the while God let his son die for you. And he's told us in commandments that we need to be generous to all of these different places. And so the danger is that we would say, hey, God's been quiet when it comes to money. Bigger house, bigger boat, and all of these other things that we enjoy. The other danger here would be to think that every time you feel compassion towards something, that you're supposed to dig deep and give to it. And so you need to learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit and to discern what he is directing you to do. Quick story. Uh, I have a friend who uh, is a youth pastor at a church. This church just went through a church split. And uh, he and the pastor uh, are kind of gotten moved on. And so my wife and I knew that things were kind of... Um, rocky for them. This young lady, she did something nice for our family. She made my wife a t-shirt. She got one of those uh, machines that you ladies all like that you can put fancy stuff on shirts. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. And so when my wife pays her for the shirt, she pays her extra for the shirt. She's, she gives her a very generous gift on top of what the cost was. And so my wife tells me what she had done. And I was like, awesome. If you think they needed it, let's give it to them. I get a phone call about three or four weeks later from the husband of the girl who made the shirt. And he says, hey, I just wanted to tell you guys, thank you for your gift. He said, you may not know this, but we just sold our house because we felt like the Lord was leading us to. And we moved into an apartment and they live in the Charlotte area. And we had to live in an apartment that we couldn't afford because we couldn't sign a long lease because we don't know what God's doing with us. And he said that I just wanted you to know that for the first time ever in our marriage, we got extra money from four different places that we normally never get money from. And you guys were one of them. And it was a need that we had. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you. My wife had no idea that they needed anything. She just wanted to be generous. And it turns out that her Holy Spirit inclination to be generous came at a time where they had a need as a result of following the Holy Spirit. The whole thing works together great. This thing we call church works great when all of us are walking with the Spirit and doing as He commands us to. And so then, now we get to 4 and 5 and 6. And these are a little more palatable, but you need to hang on and don't take 4, 5, and 6 as the only rules. you got to remember 1, 2, and 3. Number 4 says, God delights in our enjoyment of His material gifts. And so it would be bad for you to hear a sermon on money, where somebody stands in front of you and says, money's bad, you need to get rid of all of it, it's, it's the root of all evil, and you need to give it to me. Like, that's not what I'm going after. What I want you to hear is that God delights in you having material things. And we give you some scripture verses, right? You like scripture verses for God delighting in you having good things? Psalm 104. I'm not going to go there, but you can just remember it. It says that God gives, gives us food and drink to gladden our hearts. That means when you work hard all week, Friday rolls around. Mom, you don't want to cook. 
Dad, you still want to eat. And you go, let's go to Deadwood, play a little putt-putt, take a train ride, eat a good steak and an onion. That means when your food comes out and you enjoy it, and you pay good money for it, when you ask the blessing on that food and you tell God thank you for the food, He enjoys you having good things because He's provided them for you. And so to think that we just need to be an abased people who never enjoy life, we just rid ourselves of money, is false. The other fallacy would be for you to take this to an extreme and say, hey, if God delights in me having material things, bring it on. Let's go shopping next week. That would be going too far, and then you would be self-centered. You get these six principles that all have to be held in tension? You with me? All right. Some of you guys are awake. Now... We're just going to keep going. Let me give you a couple illustrations. I'm not going to worry about it so much. Um, John chapter 2. What does Jesus do at the wedding? Jesus is at a wedding. Jesus' mom shows up and says, Hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. What are you going to do about it? Jesus says, Okay, go fill up a bunch of canisters with water. And then he turns them into wine. Does he turn them into cheap boxed wine? Or does the head waiter say, Wow, This is the best wine I've ever had. Why did you save this for last? And so I just want you to see here by way of illustration that when Jesus shows up and he blesses someone with something material, he shows up and he gives them something good. He doesn't turn water into wine and give them diluted, watered down wine for them to have just enough to call it wine. He hooks them up and he gives them something good and he does the same thing for us. He wants us to be people who enjoy life and who use our finances to actually enjoy life. You go on and on uh, in the book of Nehemiah. I preached a sermon on this maybe uh, a year, year and a half ago that the people in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, they're cleaning out the temple. The temples become kind of this uh, trash closet or a junk drawer and they refine the law. And the people begin to weep and mourn and wail about finding the law. And Ezra and Nehemiah show up and they go, hey guys, stop weeping and wailing. This isn't how you're supposed to show gratitude for the law. He says, go home and spend money and throw a cookout and invite all your friends and neighbors and enjoy yourselves and worship the Lord as a result of finding the law. All that's in the book of Nehemiah. And he says, so that... Worshiping the Lord isn't always weeping and wailing and being sad and praying. Sometimes worshiping the Lord is enjoying the good things that God has given us and sharing them with others. That's really good news. It should be encouraging to a lot of you guys. Then you take in John chapter 12. There's a woman who shows up, wants to anoint Jesus' feet. And so she goes to a room and she gets a bottle or a flask of perfume that's worth about 25 grand. And she pours all $25,000 worth of perfume onto Jesus' feet and anoints his feet with oil. And one of the disciples goes, stop what you're doing, you crazy woman. That money could have been, could have been given to the poor. That, mo- that could have been sold. You could have given all that money to the poor and fed people. And Jesus says, no, what this woman's just done is a really good thing. And so there may be some of you guys who God calls to drop $25,000 on something to serve the Lord. And it's not frivolous. It's a good thing. Because after all, God's the one who gave that woman that perfume. And if she wants to give it back to him, that's not a waste of money at all. And by the way, the things that you spend your money on for the Lord are not waste at all. They should all be going towards building the kingdom. This isn't 
preaching self-indulgence, where you just go out and spend however you want to and just say it's for the Lord. This is sometimes God calls us to delight in our enjoyment of his material gifts. There's a uh, guy by the name of Larry Osborne, and he says this. There's two people you know of in Scripture, a guy named Abraham, who's well-known for getting blessings from God. Then there's another guy named Job, who's well-known for getting the opposite of blessings early on in his life. And Larry Osborne says this. When God Abrahams me, that's he blesses me, I will give thanks, enjoy it, and share it generously. Then he says, when God Job's me, or he takes it away, then I'll thank him, I'll trust him. And I'll enjoy my relationship with him. By God's grace, I know how to be abased and how to abound. And those are the words of Paul there at the end. Paul knew how to abound with good things. And he also knew how to get by with nothing. And he was able to find contentment in both of those things. So we go on to principle number five. And principle number five uh, may be tough for many of you guys. And it says this. God, not money should be our primary source of beauty and security. And so another biblical principle is that our 401ks, our social security accounts, our savings accounts, they shouldn't be our sources of security. Notice I didn't say that we don't need any of those things. But what I'm saying is we shouldn't get our statements in the mail and go, I'm good for another month or I'm good for another year. And we also shouldn't get those statements in the mail and go, oh no, I can only make it for this much longer. But our, our source of security should come from God because when you understand a right relationship with God, you realize that God can take better care of you than you could ever take care of yourself. You go to uh, Matthew chapter 6 and he says, Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field, look at the birds of the air, how God clothed them. Even Solomon in all of his splendor couldn't adorn himself as nice as these birds and these flowers. And you realize that people who have got their faith in Christ, God takes better care of them than they could ever take of themselves. Randy Alcorn, he's the author of a book we're studying on Wednesday night, said this. You can't take any of your money with you when you die, but you can send a lot of it on ahead of you. And what he's getting at is that, listen... When you die, uh, there is no trailer with all of your stuff behind the hearst. When you die, everything you have stays here. And so he says, don't just spend it all when you're dead, but while you're alive, spend your money on good things. And then the last principle, uh, and I think this is a really, really important principle that sometimes uh, nobody talks about. I think this is a really important one. And like I said, you've got to keep all of these principles in tension. If you take any one of them out of context and said, hey, preacher said God enjoys when I have material things and Jesus turned water into wine, let's go. You will have missed the principle of the message. Trust me. The sixth principle about money is wealth building can be wise. That means that some of you God may have blessed with wealth and for you to accumulate wealth is not a bad thing. The bad thing would be when you look to the book of James chapter 5 is if you hoarded all of that wealth for yourself. Listen, there's all sorts of scriptures in the Proverbs that talk about uh, people saving little by little and at the end they have a lot. There's scriptures in the book of Proverbs. I'll read one of them to you uh, just for fun because this is a, a great addition to what I'm saying here. This is Proverbs chapter 13 verse 22. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance... To his children's children. Listen gang. 
if you're going to leave an inheritance to your children's children, that is an absolute wad of cash. And the scripture says that sometimes it's a good thing when you leave an inheritance to your children's children. There's a thing called compound interest. Most of you guys understand it. Most of you guys really like it who have been saving money for a while. It's possible for you to put a little bit of money in at a young age. And then when you get to an older age and need it, it's been increasing, increasing, and hopefully growing by large percentages the whole time it's been in the bank. And so what this means is that it's possible for you to be godly and save money while at the same time being generous. And because of your saving, you will have even more, we'll call it wads of money and inheritance for your children's children. And it allows you to be generous into a very old age. Amen? Some of you guys are like, I don't know about that. Verdict's still out. Brothers and sisters, yes. Brothers and sisters, money is something that we spend every day. It's something that uh, the world would say makes the makes uh, the world would say it makes the world go round. But money is something that God cares about, and it's really important to Him how you spend it. Now, the plug here from your pastor is: I want you to just know, as a church, listen. If you're a visitor here, just close your ears for a minute. I want you to know, just as your pastor, as we talk about money, that oftentimes the summer months are our worst months financially. It seems that sometimes when people are gone uh, on vacation, that uh, they forget about still supporting the work of our church and giving their tithes and offerings. I just want you to know, politely and very pastorally, that there's all sorts of different ways that you can continue to give. And one of those ways you'll see later on this week, uh, we've just gotten a... uh, uh, the ability to do online giving uh, through our church's website. And so maybe you enjoy some of the things that God's given you, and that means that you're on vacation with your family. I just want you to know that you can still give to and support the work of our church even if you're not here. We've got um, church members who, when they go out of town, they'll mail their tithe in, and we have all sorts of other things. I don't want you to think, though, listen to me, I don't want you to think that because the pastor is talking about money that we're in dire straits. We're not. Things are going well for us. I just want to encourage you that through these summer months, that things keep going well for us. You with me? All right. You guys are like, I just want to go eat with my mom. That's really all I want to do. And so I'm going to let you do that. I want you to know that I love you guys. I love it. Absolutely love it. When I see you doing fun things with your family, with the money that God has blessed you with. I don't think that you should cease everything and give money to the church. I'm going to tell you one of the things that I like to do. And uh, some of you that really think about money in the church, you might think, well, preacher, you might not have should have told him this. But this is one of the things I do. I view a tithe for my family as 10%. I feel that God expects, and I could go into something lengthy, but I just want to tell you real basic. I think that God expects 10% for you to give to the local body. And so that's what my family and I do. We give 10% to the local church. And then I could give more to the church, but I don't. And you go, wait a minute. You just told us to be generous, and now you're telling us that you don't give, and you're stingy, and you stop at 10%. When I give 10% faithfully to the church, I try to use the rest of the money I have to be generous to other organizations and to other people as well. And so when I'm generous, like I've been describing in this message... That's on top of the 10% that I feel that God has asked me to give to him. And so, brothers and sisters, what I'd like to see you guys do is to take a challenge 
and to give God the 10% that he expects of you, and then to use the rest of your money to be generous to the people around you. Pay for someone's meal. Pay for someone to do something. Send somebody to the grocery store. Get them dinner. Do anything just to be the hands and feet of God in the world. Because after all, money is just a tool that God has given us. Just so happens that too often we worship the tool and not the God who gave it to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you've entrusted us with finances. And Lord, I pray that when we see you on our last day, I pray that we would have been found faithful with the things that you've given us. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never put their faith in you, if there's anyone here who's never traded their life of sin and shame for a life of righteousness that you offer, Lord, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith in you and your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. As in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us, uh, we're going to be led in a hymn of invitation. And then afterwards, uh, young Evan is going to close us in prayer. Please stand and sing, You Are My All in All. You guys can uh, stay standing just for a minute. Evan, come on forward. Evan's going to close us in prayer. I want to remind you uh, to go back and look through your bulletin. Ton of announcements in it. Make sure you read them. Uh, next week we'll be voting on a, uh, some church constitution changes. So make sure you get a chance to pick up those proposed changes. And if you have any questions about them, Wednesday night is the time to uh, come and ask. We'll address any questions that you might have. Evan, go ahead and close us out, brother. Dear God, thank you for this. Uh, thank you for what you give us. Please let our mothers lead us to you. Learn. Let us learn more about you. Let us know how how the Bible works and how how Jesus will work and how heaven looks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.